Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Christopher Chung, who has, uh, I think you said you've been in this job eight years now. He is uh, the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina that works very closely with the Department of Commerce and recruiting industry and development of uh, our economy. And we've talked uh, about the new industries that are coming in. We've talked about the new automotive plants that are coming in and some of the big things. But one of the things that he mentioned early on uh, is uh, the support of existing employers, because uh, we certainly want to be sure that the existing employers who've been paying taxes in North Carolina for a long time are well taken care of as well. And also uh, the startup of new businesses uh, for entrepreneurs who are wanting to start out. So let's talk a little bit about some of the types of things that you do they assist in this area. Our existing industry support efforts are, uh, they, they're of course all across North Carolina. So we've got someone in each of eight regions around North Carolina and their principal job every day when they get up is to call on existing employers and typically in the manufacturing sector. Again, there, there are tens of thousands of, of employers in every single community. So we have to prioritize and, and based on the way that we're best uh, suited to assist companies, that tends to skew a little bit more towards industrial and manufacturing. So our folks in each of these regions get up every day, they call on existing employers in the manufacturing sector in their communities. And so they're sitting across from a plant manager or site lead, or sometimes even the company president, and they're just trying to understand first and foremost, what are the challenges that this company is facing? What are the roadblocks that may be holding them back? from continuing to expand and add jobs here in North Carolina. And then of course, once they understand what the biggest challenges are that that company is facing, then their job is try to figure out a suite of resources or services that can help that company overcome those barriers in such a way that they can keep expanding, keep growing, keep adding jobs in North Carolina. Frankly, for the better part of the past several years, workforce has been the biggest challenge or pain point that we hear about from existing employers that we talk to. Attracting the right skill set, retaining those employees, that continues to be a big issue, probably the biggest issue that we hear time and again from companies that we, existing employers that we get the chance to work with. You'd be amazed that for a lot of these employers, of course, they're focused on their product or their service and they don't necessarily have a whole lot of time to be thinking about or exploring some of these potential solutions to the challenges that are affecting their businesses. So sometimes it's as simple as introductions to some of the resources that can help them on the workforce front. You, we, we talked earlier uh, about community colleges and the role that they play in providing training for employees. Uh, there are a lot of other great nonprofit or public workforce development institutions that can also help employers to find, screen, recruit, and retain employees. So sometimes it's just helping a company walk through all of these different things that could be available to them to help with this very big issue. Uh, sometimes it's a permit. Maybe they're getting ready to consider an expansion and perhaps they need a, a road to be widened or some piece of infrastructure to be upgraded to accommodate that. Maybe there's an environmental permit they'll need to secure if it's a specialized type of manufacturing. So it's helping that company navigate that process and getting the answers that they need, getting them the, the services that they need to go ahead and, and take the plunge on that expansion. And then, of course, there are certain state incentives that are made available to companies, including existing employers. 
anytime that they're looking to potentially add jobs and make new investment. So sometimes we're helping facilitate that process for companies by helping them understand what it takes to access these state or local incentives that can reward them for creating new jobs in that community. It's really, it's a different conversation for every single company, but I would say consistently across the board in recent years, it's really, what can you do at EDPNC to help me find, attract, and retain the workforce that I need as an employer to be successful? We read a lot and see the effects of the supply chain problem that we're having now in the, in the United States. I, I know, again, talking about my little hometown of Bessemer City, they were telling me the other day that they'd ordered a piece of equipment uh, and the delivery date is 15 months out. Uh, what problems are we having that are affecting the businesses in North Carolina? And is it getting better or is it getting worse? I don't know that it's getting better. I hope it's not getting worse, but th this supply chain, so difficulty of getting certain materials or products or components, that is certainly something that the pandemic, I don't know that the pandemic is 100% responsible, but it's certainly very responsible for causing a lot of these shortages that affect businesses' ability to operate. Of course, the, the recent uh, increase in prices across the board for everything, most notably fuel, uh, that is, of course, having some impact on the economics of, of how a business operates here in the state. And, and in some cases, what we've actually seen, Don, is uh, the increase in costs uh, for things like construction materials uh, and fuel has actually even made companies hit pause on their search for a brand new location. So maybe we're talking to them about recruiting some type of a manufacturing facility to the state. And because of escalating costs, they've decided to table that decision, at least until the cost environment gets a little bit better. Uh, we hate to see that, but you can certainly understand from the company's perspective, if they think that maybe the situation will get better here in the next few months or in a year, maybe it's worth in some cases slowing down that search process. Uh, so we see this manifest in a lot of different ways. If, if I could tell you when it's going to get better, uh, I'd, I'd probably be making a whole lot of money uh, doing something else to be able to predict that. The reality is I, I'm like a lot of folks, I, I don't know when these prices uh, will stabilize, let alone start to go down. But it clearly is having some effect on the decision making with the companies that we get the chance to work with. I was talking to a business, uh, industrial business uh, owner a couple of days ago, and he said he was going to go to a uh, four-day week, 10-hour work days, and he said that will cut down on, he said, a number of my employees travel 20 to 40 miles a day to come to work. And he said, uh, quite frankly, he said, I think a 10-hour day is more efficient. Uh, are you seeing that as a trend? Is that something we might see more and more companies go to of, or they work days? I think it really depends on the industry. If you're in a bricks and mortar type of operation where you need a physical presence, so think retail, that, that may not be as practical to reduce the number of days in the week because you are essentially giving up on a whole day's worth of, of customers. I mean, you take Chick-fil-A, for example, right? Chick-fil-A, respect their policy. They don't open on Sundays, but think how much in additional sales they are forfeiting by not being open that seventh day of the week. What I think is happening in some cases 
I think if you're a, an office-based employer or a, a, let's call it a technology company, yeah, perhaps you have that luxury of saying it's a four-day work week or you can have folks work remote some number of days per week so that they're not physically commuting. Uh, that's an option to help employees save on gas prices. I think what we're seeing in other cases, especially in the tourism and hospitality lodging sectors, is staffing challenges. That ability to hire people in to work in these bricks and mortar establishments, whether they are restaurants uh, or retail or something like that, if they can't find enough people to stay open uh, for as much time as they would like to, then they're going to restrict their operating hours. Uh, at, at, you know, good case in point, I was driving back from Greensboro to Raleigh a couple months ago and uh, stopped at a, I think it was a Burger King uh, on off of uh, the Burlington exit on 40. And this was 7 p.m. So I figured you know, I was crazy craving a Whopper. And uh, I pulled up and, and when I got to the dive through, they were closed and they had signs saying during the week, our hours, Monday through Wednesday, we close at 6 p.m. I'm guessing that's because of staffing shortages. And think about how much in sales that they're forfeiting by not being open those extra two, three, four hours. And I think you're seeing this in a lot of different industry sectors. And what it's doing is reducing the overall capacity of the economy to produce the goods and services that people are looking for. Uh, and I think it really does boil down to staffing shortages for a lot of these businesses. Broadband is uh, one of the things that uh, was very much in the news about a year ago. And, and, and both the federal government and the state government has uh, looked at this problem and realized how important it is. Are we making enough progress there to carry broadband into those areas that are underserved? I certainly believe that there's a lot of money out there through some of these federal recovery programs uh, that came about once the pandemic hit. And a lot of these federal dollars, which of course channel down into the states, states, including North Carolina, have wisely been putting a good amount of that money towards physical infrastructure, uh, including broadband extension. I think it's over said by this point, but the pandemic has taught us that uh, you need to be connected from a digital standpoint to access not just employment for those who are able to telecommute, uh, but you can use broadband to access education. You can use broadband to access medical and health care. Uh, you need to have that. And unfortunately, still too many people in the United States don't have the actual physical infrastructure that they can tap into. Fortunately, I think some of these federal dollars, uh, if they're wisely invested by the states, which I think is happening on this issue, uh, then that's going to really make a dent in building out the infrastructure. You still have issues like digital literacy. So just because you've extended broadband so that it can serve homes, if you're dealing with individuals or families who've never had that service before, are they going to know how to utilize it? Are they going to know uh, what they what hardware they need to purchase to take advantage of it? You've got that aspect of it well. And I know North Carolina is taking some of these federal dollars and investing in boosting digital literacy among the people who benefit the most from incorporating broadband into their lives. So again, not just about the physical infrastructure, but you also got to make sure people know how to take advantage of this in a way that allows them to access employment, education, and even healthcare opportunities. We have two ports in North Carolina, Moorhead City and the Wilmington area. Uh, it's always seemed to me that they don't get their fair share. Are we getting a better share of the port business from, say, Virginia and South Carolina? Where do we stand with our ports? 
So being a smaller port than Charleston, Savannah, and Norfolk has a lot of advantages, especially when you look at what's been going on in some of the global shipping industry. Long story short, when you hear the North Carolina Ports Authority folks tell it, being that smaller port, yes, they, they don't have the same, you know, probably by an order of 10, a number of, of containers coming through, but they are able to be a lot nimbler. And so uh, turn times when a truck is coming in to pick up a container or drop off a container, that ability to process traffic and get it off of ships and onto trucks and rail or get it off of rail and trucks onto ships, being a smaller port actually conveys some advantages of being able to be faster on that type of thing. And so that is one of those advantages that our ports have been able to to tee up with potential shippers during the pandemic. And we've all seen and read a lot of these stories about congestion at ports. That is not a reality for North Carolina's ports. And that is a major selling point right now for the ports as they continue to attract shipping lines that call on Wilmington and to some extent that call on Moorhead City. And of course, uh, we are always, have always been blessed with uh, good uh, rail transportation. Uh, where do we stand there? So rail, of course, we've got great freight rail providers, uh, Norfolk Southern and CSX being the two big ones. And for a lot of these manufacturing projects that we hope to attract to North Carolina, rail service is important. Uh, usually about one out of every five of those deals, they have to have good freight rail service. The interesting developments are really going to be around passenger rail. Uh, North Carolina DOT, Department of Transportation, just secured some funding to do the next phase of planning a major passenger rail improvement between Raleigh and Richmond. Uh, the idea being that that could serve in some part as a commuter rail feeder uh, so that we're taking cars off the roads every day, reducing traffic congestion, but still allowing people to get into the cities from outlying areas using passenger rail. Uh, that's an exciting development. So I think that's going to be one of those areas that we're excited to watch because it has a lot to do with where people choose to live, where they choose to commute, how they choose to get around North Carolina. And hopefully it's one of those areas that we see some physical infrastructure investment happen in, in the next several years. Our guest is Christopher Chung, and we have one final segment coming up. And in that segment, I want to talk about how you go about your job of recruiting industry. Uh, and we'll do that. We're going to take a break for these commercial messages. And right after that, we'll be back with Christopher Chung. You stay tuned. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time, as in Spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the goat. 
You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. A reminder, a number of our stations carry a half-hour version of this program. If you are listening to one of those stations, there are two additional segments that you can listen to by going online to carolinanewsmakers.com. And uh, our producer, Jason Kong, will have those two segments that you do not hear on your station. He'll have those off so that you can listen to those, or if you'd like to hear the entire broadcast again or share it with a friend, you can do that as well. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Our guest this week is Christopher Tung. He's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. Uh, we, we listed five actual duties and responsibilities that this, this uh, agency has, but uh, uh, I want to focus basically in this segment on how you go about recruiting industry. Uh, and uh, the first thing that sort of comes to mind here is this is sort of a chicken and egg situation. Uh, Christopher, uh, you know, uh, uh, which comes first? Do the uh, manufacturers or people who are looking to relocate uh, or establish a business call you first or do you call them? Which, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Great question. Both happen at the same time. The, the way that we go about this, of, of course, when you look at the total universe of business recruitment deals that we're working on at any given time, and I think as of, as of this afternoon, Don, we're sitting on about 200 of, of what we call business recruitment projects. So this is a company that doesn't have a facility here in North Carolina today, and we're trying to get them to locate that facility here. We have a whole separate pipeline of projects where we're talking with existing employers about expanding. I'm really just talking about those situations where we're trying to attract something new in from the outside. So 200 of those different projects. The vast majority of those, they are coming by way of a company or their representative uh, contacting us and basically saying, hey, we're planning call it a, and we're planning an electric vehicle battery manufacturing plant. And these are our requirements. And North Carolina is one of several states that we are looking at for this potential new investment. However, we also have a team that is focused on finding those projects. Uh, this is our business development team. And, and they're hitting a lot of different industry events and networking with the kinds of individuals who might be aware that their company is getting ready to start the search for a new location. It's just they haven't actually gone out there officially with those requirements. The, the idea being that if we can get a bit of an inside track with this particular company before they ever start engaging other states, we might have some advantage in coming out on top in that competition. Uh, but the bottom line is we don't want to wait for the phone to ring. We want to try to generate our own deal flow. And that's why we have this portion of our organization, which is out there really trying to shake the bushes, find those companies that are in growth mode, and hopefully identify the companies that actually have projects that they are planning today where North Carolina might be a reasonable fit. And of course, then get North Carolina to be the ultimate winner of that. But I'd say nine, uh, 80% of the deals that we work are the result of us not not ever knowing about it. We get that phone call, though, where a company has let us know that we're on the list and they begin to need our assistance in finding appropriate locations around North Carolina for that opportunity. So what are some of the, say, the top five things that you hear 
from people who are looking to relocate, uh, what, uh, what are they most concerned about? It's really as many companies as we interact with, you could probably see that it's different for every single company. This is not all that different than people looking for a home, right? I don't know how many homes you've looked for in your lifetime, Don, but you probably had your list of wants and you had your list of needs. Companies are the same way. They have things that they absolutely must have. And usually that's logistical considerations, maybe proximity, for example, to raw materials or proximity to a port where their finished products would get shipped out of. Uh, They have other wants, such as if they're planning a major new manufacturing plant, they usually have a specific real estate need. It's got to be 250 acres or larger with heavy power, heavy water, heavy sewer. Of course, they also have their nice-to-haves, and sometimes that's about the type of community that they're in or the business climate that they want to be operating from. The bottom line is we try to figure out for every single one of these companies, what are the things most important to them? I'd say generally speaking, of course, access to workforce. Every company, as we've talked about already, is really keen on making sure they've got the human capital they need, and it doesn't matter what industry, they need to have the human capital they need to be successful. Uh, Real estate is frequently, especially for industrial or manufacturing, these very large factories that you hear about North Carolina trying to recruit, they have a very defined real estate requirement. And that's a very uncommon type of real estate that they're searching for. So that is one of the ways that we narrow down that list pretty quickly. In recent times, I'd say for a lot of these manufacturing firms, Don, they're going to be consuming a lot of energy. Uh, It it takes a lot of electricity, for example, to produce uh, semiconductors or electric vehicle batteries. More and more companies that we are talking to every day express a desire, if not a requirement, that the power they consume at their manufacturing facilities be sourced from renewable energy. And different companies will have different definitions of renewable, but generally solar, wind, Those are two consistent forms of renewable energy that companies express a very strong desire for. Like that is one of their requirements or criteria where they say we're going to be producing X or consuming X amount of electricity every year. We want it to be 100% renewable by 2030. And of course, we work very closely with the Duke Energies and Dominion Energies and the co-ops of the world to sit down around a table and figure out how are we going to satisfy that need if they choose to locate in North Carolina. But I think this focus on renewable clean energy, that's because these companies, uh, they have stakeholders and employees and customers who expect their products to be made using renewable energy. And that is why you're seeing it as more and more of a criteria in the types of projects that we compete for. One of the things that you think North Carolina needs to do or improve on or spend more money or whatever to become more business friendly, I think I think, generally speaking, we must be viewed as a business-friendly state to begin with because you're already having a number of successes. But what else can we do? We are very well regarded, as we talked about earlier, as a business climate. And and that's borne out by a lot of these third-party rankings, whether that's CNBC or Forbes or Chief Executive Magazine consistently top 10, if not top five, best states to do business. I think North Carolina has made a lot of headway in terms of tax policy over the past decade. Uh, This is before my time, but 
uh, some of our corporate tax and corporate. even our individual personal income tax policies were seen as a little bit less friendly to people and to businesses. And I know that's something that the, the legislature worked a lot on going back as far as a decade. We're in pretty good shape there, I'd say, uh, with our tax rates being what they are. We, we don't hear that come up as, as a challenging point. Uh, I would say consistent investments in education because that is the, the K through 12 education population. That is what fuels our future workforce. So we gotta make sure that the kids going through our K through 12 public schools have the foundational skills and knowledge to be successful in whatever the economy looks like by the time that they graduate into the workforce. Investments in infrastructure, whether that's to move people or to move products, you cannot go wrong with continuing to invest in that physical infrastructure, whether that's our ports, our roads, our bridges, our airports, our rail. That's, of course, very necessary. I'd say one challenge we're facing at right now that's very acute. We continue to be going after very large manufacturing facilities. Again, think EV battery manufacturing or EV assembly or even semiconductor production. These are manufacturing facilities that need hundreds, if not thousands of developable acres of land for that factory uh, that has heavy electricity connections, heavy water, heavy sewer, and they have to be close to the kinds of population centers that support the hiring of thousands of skilled employees. So yeah, there are plenty of big pieces of land out in the country uh, that have all of those other utilities, but they're nowhere near anybody. And so it's going to be really hard for a company to set up stakes there and, and, and get the workforce to commute in. So these companies are looking for all those different criteria. And we just don't have a whole lot of those types of what we call mega sites that are still in our inventory. And that could be one of those limiting factors where the next company that comes to us looking for a mega site, if we don't have a good one that fits their criteria, we're probably not going to last in that conversation for very long. And they're going to end up in a state that does have that particular piece of real estate that they need. That is a very, very granular issue, but is a very real issue in terms of barriers to success. We want to continue attracting these transformative deals to North Carolina, but that's predicated on having these mega sites available to put in front of companies with that kind of a manufacturing need. We hear talk of a recession. Most of the economists that I talk to uh, or listen to all say they think it's going to be mild and probably short. But since most of the work you're doing is long range planning, will that actually have any real effect on your work? Will it slow down anything? Uh, I can't imagine it wouldn't slow down, and, and that's that's only because it's been uh, busy as an overused word in every profession, including economic development. But it really has been busier than anything that that I've seen in 25 years of doing this work, Donna. These past two years, starting from about June of 2020 to to where we sit today, the the regularity, the volume of deals that we get the chance to compete for, and the size of these projects has been unlike anything that I've seen, and, and that most of my colleagues in this industry have seen. So it's hard not to imagine that a recession would slow that down. And, and that actually would give us all a little bit of a chance to catch our breaths after a very, very active past couple of years. What extent will it depress activity? That's always the, the $64,000 question. I think we are starting to see decisions take a little bit longer. Uh, the, the deal flow hasn't slowed down noticeably, but the, the amount of time from the, when we get that first phone call to when a company makes a decision, that seems to be stretching out ever so slightly a little bit in the past few months. 
And I do wonder a little bit if that's not because companies are very mindful that if the economy starts to soften, how much, how quickly do they want to commit to spending hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars on a brand new facility? And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit in terms of that slowdown of decisions. Well, I know that secrecy is uh, very important in this thing, but uh, can you uh, maybe give us a little bit of a forecast and say, should we expect any good news to come out uh, as far as economic development in, say, the next three months? Well, look, every announcement is good news, right? They, they can't all be yeah. uh, invest in Toyotas and, and thousands of, of jobs. That, look, a hundred job project in rural North Carolina, that's just as important, if not more so, than, than 3,000 jobs uh, somewhere here in the Triangle. So every single one of these projects that decides that North Carolina is the place for their future growth, that is that we all consider that to be big news for that particular community. In terms of the types of headline grabbing big project announcements, uh, we're always working a number of what we think will be a headline grabber if we are lucky enough to be chosen. Uh, but as you said, those are confidential till such time as they can be ready to be announced, but you'll be among the first to know. How's that? That's great. Christopher, thank you so much for being with us, Christopher Chung. And uh, we look forward to you coming back and sharing uh, some more news about economic development in North Carolina. Our, our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on this same group of stations. So next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.